Hello. We are so glad that you could join us today. Our prayer is that as you listen to the word, you would take this time to draw nearer to God as an individual and as a family. God loves you so, so much. And his desire is for you to get closer to him in this season through worship, through dwelling in his word and prayer. Good morning. Uh, I'm so blessed to be back with you again today. And uh, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about different attributes of the heart. And we've talked about the praising heart, the, the heart that's full of gratitude, the heart of thankfulness. We've talked about the forgiving heart, the heart that can forgive and the loving heart. And today we're going to be talking about the, the transformed heart. In fact, this is kind of the culmination of the heart kind of series that I've been doing because God is really interested in one thing. The ultimate uh, thing he works for is the transformation of our hearts, transformation of our lives. And where the heart goes, there goes the life. Uh, the life is in the blood. The life is in our hearts. And, and so it's very important that we understand this message. This message will speak to us. And I believe if you'll hear this message, it can really help change you. We're going to pick up in a passage of Scripture that we, I think we all know and I, and I love. Uh, in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, it says, But now thus says the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When you passest through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. We see in this passage of Scripture that we are not promised a world without hardship. In fact, Quite to the contrary, the world is hard for all of us and will test us to the very core of who we are and who we're becoming. God's desire for our lives is that in the midst of whatever we're going through, He will be revealed not only to us, but through us. You see, we're created to praise God. That's the purpose of our lives. Isaiah 43, 21. The people I have formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. This people that I have formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. That's, that's just a powerful verse. What was the purpose that God created us? To praise Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him, to give Him worship. And how do we do that? Uh, it's important that we understand that. Although we were created to praise, we were also recreated to show forth the glory of God through our lives. You see, when God created man, he had in mind that he would make a creature in his own image and in his own likeness. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, that's what God spoke about Adam and Eve. He said, you know, let us, God said, let us, the triune God, make God, make man in our image. And so he made us triune, spirit, soul, and body. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so you have to understand that although we are not God, we are made in His image, in His likeness. How many of you know that God's never changed His original intent? But sin entered in, and sin changed everything. Sin caused not only the creation, but the, create, the creature as well to fall. God desires 
to see his eternal goal accomplished in our lives. And he does that by, and he did that by sending his son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And he does that in our lives through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Boy, I love that passage of scripture. He says, you know, he said that we would be conformed to the image of his son and be the and that his son being the firstborn among many brethren. What does it mean for you and me as believers? Uh, it means this. It means whatever difficulties, whatever tribulations, whatever trials, or whatever hardships or encounters that we go through in this life, they're used by God as lessons so that you and I can learn to appropriate the very nature of Christ so that we can be conformed into the image of Jesus. You see, difficulty should cause us to run towards God and should propel us to change as we desire to be more Christ-like. I want to go back and read that opening passage of Scripture again because I think there's something in it that is important for you to grasp. But now thus says the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When you passest through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. There's a powerful promise in this passage of Scripture. Why is this promise in this Scripture so powerful, though? Why is it so powerful? Well, I want you to first of all notice what God did not say. He did not say he would keep us from the fire or he would keep us from the floodwaters. No, he said he would be with us in the fire or in the flood. You see, when we walk through the fire or through the flood, he says he will be with us. The reason for this is what I am talking about today. You see, the power it takes to transform a human heart is more than just something you and I can do. It's not religion. See, God allows you and I to pass through some of these things so that we can be trained and we can be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. He was the firstborn of many brethren. You and I are his brethren. And he went through all kinds of testings and all kinds of trials and even to the death on the cross so that he could purchase our redemption. If it was good enough for our Savior, don't you think that it's going to be similar for our lives? Do you think we're just going to go through this life unscathed and that this is kind of a Jesus paid for it all and it's nothing to do with our character? It's just some kind of a fire insurance? See, I think it's very important for us to understand something about how God himself operates in our lives. Right now, we're currently facing a so-called plague, a, a pandemic. And there are so many people that are fearful of this problem. In fact, many are so fearful that they have lost their faith in a living God. <laughs> in fact, they've turned to kind of a so-called science for their answers. 
can, can I just say this? Much of what is being called science today is not science at all. It's, uh, in fact, it has nothing to do with science. You know, science is supposed to be able to be recreated. Anybody should be able to take a scientific experience and ex experiment and get the same results if you do the same thing. Today, uh, especially in the area of pharmaceutical uh, treatments, uh, we see that the conclusions are all over the place. One minute we have a vaccine that we're told is very safe for people. The next minute it's being taken off the market in Europe. One minute we're told, hey, this vaccine will keep you from getting the disease. The next minute we're told, no, it doesn't keep you from getting the disease. It doesn't make you immune. It just helps you against that strain. There, there are so many uh, non-scientific things, and yet then we're told and we're chastised and we're, and we're chastened by politicians and by uh, so-called experts that we are supposed to somehow obey them and listen to them because, well, they know better for all of us. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, we have to be able to question, and we have to question science these days. When science gets tied up with uh, politics and big pharma and big money, I think it's very important that we stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are we rushing headlong into a vaccine that has been rolled out in breakneck speed? Why are we rushing headlong into something that is being prescribed for the whole world when 99% of the people that get this disease recover? Is there, can we ask the question, is it possible to have a solid debate? Is it possible to listen to those that are waving a red flag saying, I think we're moving too fast. I think there's some science here. I think there's some data that's missing in the equation. Why aren't we having those debates? Why aren't other voices being heard? Why are now social media companies silencing people, take, uh, canceling people? I think that we have a very big responsibility. And me as a pastor, I have a responsibility to say, hey, I think it's important that we have a debate. I think it's important that we discuss these things and that we don't just get railroaded on some agenda that I'm not even sure we're fully aware of. There's a school of thought that if you have faith in God, somehow that you're a denier of science. And if you don't do what is being... Uh, put out there by the so-called science uh, and the people that have this group think that uh, if you don't do what they're telling you to do, somehow you're anti-science. Well, I believe it's very important that we allow people to express their God-given right to exercise their own consciences. And I particularly want to address this vaccine issue again. See, the issue has the potential of dividing our society. We are not allowing mature debate. There wouldn't be such a wide uh, push for the vaccine so quickly if there was. I think it's very important for us as believers to know where we want to place our trust. Quite frankly, I don't trust science. I don't trust politicians, to be honest with you. Uh, our politicians can't even run the nation, but they're trying to run my health. I think we have to be very, very careful. Now, I think some of them are doing the very best they can. Not all politicians, but even our own politicians are talking about how corrupt they are and how much corruption has destroyed our nation. We need to deal with what we can deal with. But for those of us that are believers,
I think we have to make a decision. Right now, it seems as if if we look to spiritual things, somehow that's not scientific or that's not practical. It's not real. Let me tell you something. Spiritual things are sometimes more real than what you so-called, what we, what we call these natural things. Listen to what Psalm 91 says. It says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies at noonday, or the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, and it shall not come nigh thee. Only with your eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling place. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. And you shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon, shall you trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him, and I will honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to trust God. No pestilence is going to come nigh my, my, my house. Look, the Bible says don't fear that pestilence. I'm not saying I won't get the COVID, but 99% of the people are recovering. I'll recover if I do. I'm not afraid of COVID. I'm not going to shut my life down because of COVID. I think we've made much ado about something that, quite frankly, we have to be very careful. Where is our trust? Is our trust in a government official? Is our trust in the men of this world? Many of these men that are leading this are not righteous. They're not seeking God. In fact, they're atheists. How do we who believe in God trust a man who doesn't believe in God? Who doesn't even acknowledge God? Because that cuts out a lot of the solutions. Because there is a God in heaven. There's a God who heals. There's a God who wants to intervene in the affairs of men. There's a God that if we would turn to Him with all of our hearts, He'll forgive our sins and He'll heal. He'll heal not only our land, but He'll heal us. Matthew 14 gives an illustration that I love. Jesus, he's with his disciples. It says, and straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the middle of the sea, tossed and to and fro by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. But they cried out for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake to them, saying, Be of good cheer, or be courageous. It is I. Be not afraid. 
And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come to thee on the water. Jesus said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, said to him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And, that, and they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now, I, I want you just to imagine this story with me. Imagine that you're one of the disciples, and that you're in this small boat in a stormy sea. And, and, your, and your boat has been battered for most of the night by contrary wind and heavy waves. And you've been working against the elements and Maybe you've even been a bit fearful. Then you see Jesus walking on the water sometime early in the morning. And what is his first words to you and, and to his weary disciples? Be of good cheer. Be of courage. It is I. Be not afraid. Boy, I'll tell you what, I think it's very important to study this passage of Scripture because there's so much in it. First of all, I want you to notice this. Jesus said, it is I. Is I. Well, this isn't just any ordinary phrase. This phrase is Jesus giving the disciples his designation on earth and in this situation. Literally, if you translate this word, he's saying, I am. It is I am. I am the I am. I am is here. He's not talking about, hey, it's me. He's saying, no, it's I am. He's giving his designation as Almighty God. See, what Jesus is saying is that not only is he coming to their aid and to their rescue, but he's coming as the Son of God, the great I Am, who is transcendent of all these elements and of time. He is making himself available to his disciples. He says, I'm here. I am here. You know he makes himself available to all of his disciples. See, we have to understand, Jesus doesn't change. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even today, in this very age that we live in, He is God with us. God with us even to the end of the age. Jesus wants to manifest Himself as Lord. He wants to manifest Himself as Lord in the storms that you and I are facing in our times. He wants to help us go through every human distress and every circumstance we face. But you and I, we have to silence the fear that is trying to grip our hearts. Like those disciples, if we look to Christ, He's able. Even at this very hour, He's able to reach us. Right now, at this moment, He can reach you, wherever you are. You may be sitting there saying, I don't see any hope, I don't see any future. I can tell you right now, right where you are, Jesus can reach you. This is why we pray. This is why we worship. So that we can look through the storm and we can hear His voice confidently saying to us, be of good cheer. Be of courage, for it is I. Be not afraid. Now I want to show you that Jesus then, with his disciples, and even now with you and I, modern day disciples, has more in mind than just comforting us. You see, it's one thing to trust in God to calm the storm around us. But it's an entirely different thing for us to trust him with our safety and our security. And even more to think about venturing out onto the water with him. 
It is this very setting that Jesus chose to use as his classroom to begin the discipleship and the perfection of the faith of his own disciples. God and his purpose for our life is not to make us comfortable. Jesus didn't come into our lives to console us and to make us feel good about ourselves. No, he came to bring us to maturity. In fact, the Bible says he came to perfect us. It's one thing to trust Christ to calm the storm around us. It's another matter to leave the security of land or to leave the security of the boat and to venture with him on the water. The raging waves and the wind became the classroom that Jesus used to bring greater maturity and perfection to his disciples. You see, God's goal for us is to become perfect. I think maturity is another word for perfect. God wants us to mature. He wants us to grow up. I don't think we ever become perfect like God is perfect, but I think that we begin to mature into that perfection. John 17, verse 23 says, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that thou and that the world may know that you have sent me and has loved them as you have loved me. What a powerful scripture. God says he wants us to be perfect and that he wants the world to see that, hey, that you and I are one with him and that he has loved us the same way he loved Jesus. What a beautiful picture of what God wants for our lives. 2 Timothy 3 verse 17 says, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That was God's intention. Paul's telling Timothy, he says, listen, God wants to work in you that you may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to every good work. God's given you and I good works to do. God's given us a purpose for our lives on earth. And it's not just to have a job and work eight to five and have a few children and then, you know, just make it through life and die at the end of our lives. No, God has a purpose for your life. God has a a vision for you. God wants you to do something glorious for him. James 1.4 says it this way. It says, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let patience have its perfect work in you that you may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. You see, when a disciple is willing to follow Jesus without reservation, he will lead you into a dimension of the Spirit where he'll begin to confront you, confront our sin, and he'll challenge our unbelief. You see, many believers today have kind of created an idol in their minds of a Savior that is saving them from hell and only for eternity. But Jesus is irrevocably committed to our complete transformation, start to finish. He's not happy with just getting us to heaven. He's interested in who we become on earth. In this biblical account, it was only Peter who responded on this occasion with faith and with vision. It was Peter who was willing to throw his legs over the side of the boat and That boat, by the way, was being tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves, and and, and yet Peter was willing to step out. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I don't know, can you hear faith in Peter's voice? I can. I think Peter was reaching out. Jesus calls to Peter and says, come. One word. Peter jumps off the side of the boat, and he steps onto the water. He fixes his gaze on Jesus. He steps out and reaches out to Jesus 
walking on the water. Now, realize that Peter was not standing on the water. He was walking on the word come. See, we, we can walk on the word of God. How many of you know that even on a calm day, you can't walk on your swimming pool? How many of you know on a calm day, there's no lake, there's no water that'll hold you up? But the word of God is able to perform what it says it'll do. He sends his word into the earth to perform it. Now, we either believe that, or we better start believing in something else, maybe science. But I believe that God gave us a sure word. See, Peter trusted that if Jesus told him to do the impossible, even to walk on the water, the power to obey would be inherent within the command. You see, within minutes, Peter's faith wavered. The Bible says he began to sink. There's a lesson in this. And what I want you to notice is not so much that Peter sank, but what Jesus said to Peter when he did sink. See, it wasn't that Peter sank that was so important in Jesus' mind. We see the nature of our Savior in his remarks to Peter. When he starts speaking to Peter, notice what he says. Jesus wasn't interested in Peter walking on water. What we see here is the purpose, the nature that Jesus is revealing to Peter in the answer he gives him. Jesus didn't commend him and congratulate him for walking on the water. The Bible says he rebuked him. He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Boy, I don't know. In my mind, I would have thought that Jesus would have patted him on the back and praised him and encouraged him and said, man, Peter, you're the only guy that got out of the boat. You're the best guy in the whole team. Phew, that was amazing. How'd that feel? Man, that felt great, didn't it? But instead, what we see is the heart of a mentor. We see the heart of a father. Was Jesus angry? No, no, no. The truth is, Jesus is given to our perfection. He wants us to become perfect. He knows that whenever and wherever we settle spiritually, we'll fall far short of the glory of his provision. He also knows that the more we are transformed into his image, the less vulnerable we, we, the less vulnerable we are to the evils and the whims and the perilousness of this world. So what is he doing? He's compelling us to go forward with God, go towards God. And God is always compelling us to change, to become holy, to become like him. I know you all know Romans 12 and verse 2. It says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. You see, if we're to have a heart that's transformed, we're going to need to focus our attention on Jesus. And you do that, and we all do that, by attending to the Word of God. The Bible says that faith, Romans 10, 17, cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you find your faith wavering this morning, if for some reason you're not able to trust God, or you're not able to trust that He can help you in the storm and guide you through the storm, it may be that you failed to keep your eyes on Jesus. His word is being drowned out by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things. Or maybe just by the sheer magnitude of the waves and the seas around you, you're focusing on the problems and the issues of your life, and you've taken your eyes off of 
Jesus. Now, I know that it's very difficult in these trying times that we're living in. But I also know this, that if you will focus your attention on the Savior, He will save you. If you will focus your attention on God, He will go through these storms, these fires, these trials, these tribulations with you. The only way we can do that is to focus on His Word. The entrance of His Word gives life. The entrance of His Word gives light. The entrance of His Word is what illuminates your soul, which gives you the ability to see past this present world and see into that spiritual world. It was enough word, the word, one word from Jesus, come, that gave Peter the strength to walk on the water. God has a word for you. Right now, for somebody, it's a word to have your heart transformed. A transformed heart is one that's constantly moving towards God. But there's a moment in time when we accept what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died for us. He paid the price for our sin. Jesus told us to repent. To acknowledge, to acknowledge the fact that we are sinners. To acknowledge the fact that we're lost and undone without God. That we have no faith. Oh, we all have natural faith. We, we all have faith that if I sit down on a chair, it's probably not going to break. And that, you know, uh, there's natural things we have faith in. But faith in God. Faith in God comes through Jesus Christ. No man can come to the Father except through the Son. And right where you're at, if you've never received Jesus, now would be a good time. Right now. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. If we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That man will be saved, or that woman. Jesus said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, if you've never called upon the Lord, now is your time. Today is your day. Today is the day of your salvation. Pray this prayer with me. Put your hand on your heart and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm undone. I'm lost. I'm broken. I'm afraid. I'm guilty. I feel guilty. I'm I'm, I'm in a storm. I need you. I need someone to go through this storm. I need God. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I need you in my life. Would you forgive me today? Jesus, come into my heart. Take up lordship in my life. I give you my life. I start today. I turn from my evil ways. I turn from my wicked ways, and I'm going to turn to you. I'm asking you to help me. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you were raised from the dead for me and for my sins. Come into my heart and my life right now. See, if you pray that prayer, if you mean it with your heart, something changed. Something happened. The Bible says you're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Just that fast, we change. Now, that doesn't mean that everything will change in your life. If you prayed that prayer and you have curly hair, you'll still have curly hair. If you probably had a problem with certain habits, you still may have that habit. Now, God may deliver you totally, but God has begun a work in you. He'll bring you to salvation. He'll bring you into a freedom that you've never known before because your spirit has come alive. If you prayed that prayer, there's a phone call, a phone number on the, on the, on the screen right now. Just phone that number. Call that person right now. There's a person on the other end of the line that can talk to you. They want to talk to you. And just tell them, say, I prayed that prayer the pastor asked us to pray. They'll tell you the next steps. They'll tell you what to do. 
You see, it's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to become a disciple. See, God's not done with you yet. In fact, he's just begun. And so we'll help you in your discipleship program. Phone that number. Somebody will help you. Maybe you're listening today, and you're in a storm. Maybe you feel like Peter. Maybe you had your eyes on Jesus for the longest of times, and all of a sudden, this storm is just rocking, your, rocking not only your boat, but it's rocking your life, and you're sinking. Well, the first thing we have to do is admit it. We have to admit that we have a problem. Secondly, we need to ask God to help us. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. You may be needing some fellowship. You may be needing a pastor or a counselor. You may need somebody to walk with you for a while. Again, those phone numbers are on the screen right now. Phone somebody. Now, I can't guarantee that the person at the other end of that line can actually solve your problem. But I can guarantee you that they can get you to somebody that can help you. They can get you to a counselor. They can get you to a pastor. And they know how to pray. They're trained. They're just not trained for every situation. Call. Look, they can tell you how to get into a cell group. You need to make friends. We can't do this alone. We need to go with each other. They can get you into a men's group or a women's group or a singles group or a young person's group. We need each other. Make the call right now. We'll see you again next week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that you were blessed and that God will continue to transform your life in this season. If you have a testimony or need prayer and counseling, please send a WhatsApp or a call me to plus 263-784-303900 or plus 263-717-459999. We want to hear from you, and we're here for you, and are ready to listen to you, to pray for you, and to celebrate with you. So thank you, we love you, and stay safe.